Welcome to The Only Way Is Through, a podcast collaboration between Under Armour and iHeartRadio. Episode 4, Muffin McGraw, Come Hell or High Water. Leaders are revered for the trails they blaze, the respect they command. And when a crisis presents itself, they're given a choice, endure and adapt or run. Because when doubt sinks in and failure is inevitable, a true leader hunkers down and bears the brunt of the fight on their shoulders. Throughout her career at Notre Dame, Hall of Fame women's basketball coach Muffin McGraw has inspired her players to accept no substitute for victory. She's led her team to nine Final Fours, seven championship games, and two national championships. Over a 35-season career, only one came with a losing record. With a resume like that, it's no wonder she's looked at as one of the greatest of all time. But this story is different. This story is about battling adversity. It's about rising through failure. Because this season, the Fighting Irish have their backs against the wall. At the time of this interview, their record was 6-12. and 12. And over the course of the last few weeks, things haven't improved. With morale low and their confidence shaking, it'd be easy to throw in a towel and focus on next season. Because it's hard to look at a losing record and keep battling. This is something Coach McGraw takes to heart. She understands that if she wants her players to lead their team to victory, she has to lead by example. Leadership and accountability. They're not about somebody, nobody, anybody. They are about a person, okay? It's not who's got long, who's going short, who's up next. It's this. Abby, you're next. You got short. Murdoch, get down the floor. You're long. That's what leadership is. We're just standing around waiting for somebody to rise to the occasion. It's not happening. Okay? That's your job. That's your job. Okay? You got to get everybody organized. When you're sitting back there, get them ready. Who's coming up next? Okay? All right. Hard work. One, two, three. Hard work. Cal Fussman sat down with Coach McGraw at Notre Dame to hear more. Okay. This is a very interesting dynamic because you've had tremendous success over the years, I think. In the last 12 years, you're in the top 25 like every year. And then this year, this season comes about very different. Has this season been practiced for you? <laughs> I prefer this success to what we're having now. <laughs> I've never been in this situation before of having lost five starters. We had nobody on the floor with any experience. Our most experienced player, uh, had blood clots in her lungs and wasn't able to play this whole season. Our other most experienced player hurt her knee. First game of the season was out right, for you know, 12 games. So we have no experience on the floor. And I was just thinking the other day, you know how when you're going through things and, and the stress of being number one and being the team to beat and being every game knowing you're supposed to win, that that really weighs heavy on your shoulders. And I, I think I said at one point, wouldn't it be great to be the underdog again? And my husband said, be careful what you wish for. And here we are. After a blowout loss to North Carolina State, Coach felt the weight of this season close in. In a post-game conference, she did something out of character. So the season's progressing. And then the teams it looks like it's starting to go into quicksand here. And you have a game where you lose by, what, 34 points. What is going on in your mind, and a lot of people may have seen the the video, where 
the question comes to you and it really stops you and brings out an emotional side of you. How difficult has this been for you where you, okay, maybe you have an answer between Thursday and today and then something like this happens. Like, I, I just, I gotta do better. I feel like I can fix it, but I didn't. And I'm gonna keep trying, and I'm gonna find an answer, and I'm gonna fix it. <sighs> Sorry. I think it was probably a couple months of frustration piling, piling over, and while you were sticking that knife in my heart about the 34-point <laughs> loss, you <laughs> didn't mention it was at home. You know, I think probably worst loss in the program I, history. I didn't want to stick it in too far. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bleeding over here. And uh, I, I knew it was going to be a tough game, obviously. But, but my big message to the team, compete for 40 minutes. That's all I want. You know, I thought maybe, maybe they're feeling the weight of my expectations. Maybe they think... God, we're not, we're not doing this right because we're not winning. And so I said, you know what? I just want you to play hard for 40 minutes and see what happens. And my God, what happened? A massacre. It was one of the hardest things to sit through. We were hoping that the clock operator would forget to stop the clock and, you know, just get the game over with. Because our fans have been so instrumental in our success. They help us in recruiting because kids come to games, they go, wow, I want to I play in front of this crowd. And to disappoint them, to, to come out and not bring our best game, um, I just really, I, I wanted to get to the microphone and apologize. You know, thanks for watching this. I appreciate it, but we got to do better. Nice, Mick. Back up, Mick. Did you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable or were you just caught in the moment? Well, this year I've felt like I could burst into tears at any moment. You know, it's been that kind of season where the frustration, you know, continues to pile up. And so I, I think that trying to get my emotions under control is, is important. I also, I mean, I have a passion for it. I'm competitive and I want to win and I have a really hard time with losing. I'm not, I'm not a really great sport when I lose either. And so I think when you give everything you have to something and it doesn't pan out, you're going to be emotional. What happened the next practice? Everybody shows up after that. Maybe they saw the video, maybe they didn't, but they had to hear about it and they had to know that you were really upset to, at the depths. They came into that practice and we, um, I called a, somebody to come and talk to them. Uh, we have a psychologist on campus. So she, she talked to them first, just kind of about how important your mental game is. And we kind of washed all over the, the emotion of the game. Like we, we were just concentrating on the, we just lost by 40 at home. And so how do we get our, our mindset it's back? It's interesting. You lost by 34, but you thought it was 40. Yeah, it could have been 50. I, it, was, it was a lot. Okay. That was enough. It's kind of like the stages of grief. And I kept saying to her, I just want to get to mad. That's all. I just, I want to be angry. I don't want to be emotional. I don't want it to be all this frustration and all this. I just want to be like, no, we're better than this and I'm going to fix it. Here's Matt McGraw, Muffet's husband. It's not that she doesn't want to lose a game. She doesn't want to lose a possession. 
She wants to run every play the way she envisions that, the way we did it in practice. And um, if you don't, that's where the stress comes in because she can't figure out. We ran that same thing for five days. Why are we doing it differently now? So even in games like last year where we, we had a very high IQ basketball team with some of the kids out there, it was the same thing. I mean, she, she would never relax. There was never a point we'd be sitting someplace and you'd say, does she have a game today? Because she looks really relaxed. That never occurs. But does she have that high degree of stress? Yeah, but when basketball ends and she's working in the garden, she has that same degree of stress. And she'll look and say, how does this look? That looks okay. I don't like it. Why don't I? So I just look at the plants and I, I just, she just put them there. And I just say, don't get comfortable because she's going to move you in five minutes. The plants become the offense once basketball ends. It, it's, there's, there's no, I'd like to tell you there's magic with it. She's the magic. Okay. She makes it happen. Everybody buys into what she does. And I think they buy in because she really cares about them and they understand that. Here's what I was wondering when I watched the video. This is amazing that you were able to make yourself so vulnerable. And I'm starting to think, what is going on in the mind of the players on your team if they were watching that? And, and here you are, probably gone into their homes, talked to their parents. Yeah, I'm going to take care of your kid. You can depend on me. And now they're seeing you at a table basically weeping and asking for a <laughs> tissue. And I, th I thought, you know what? There's something very smart about this. If I'm one of those players, I may not be thinking about me as a victim. I may be thinking, I'm going to help the coach. <laughs> yeah. I think there was definitely some of that. And, and I, got, I got text messages from parents uh, who, I've, we've got great parents, and even one of our recruits' parents said, it. you know, I knew Notre Dame was the place for it, but after watching that press conference, I'm even happier that we chose to come to Notre Dame. And so there were so many uplifting comments I got. So many people texted and called. And I got a call from Roy Williams the other night just saying, like, I just want to let you know you're not the only one going through this this kind of season. <laughs> and, you know, I got an email from Brad Stevens, you know, hang in there. And just so many people reached out to say, like, we've all been there at one point or another. But and, you hadn't. But, yeah. I, I mean, we've had some down moments. We, we lost by 40 at Louisville two years ago and came back and won the national championship. That wasn't this kind of loss this year, you know, because we're, we're struggling to find a win. Nothing. They got nothing. It's one. Season starts. How is the last practice before opening game? I always have loved practice. I would rather practice than play games. Everybody's time to shine is at practice, so show me what you got. Game day is probably the worst day of the year, every single game day. And I look back over over 1,000 game days. I know we're prepared, but I still worry that something's going to happen that I didn't prepare them for. Gosh, what if they come out in the box and one? What if they go triangle two? Do we work against the traps? What if they do this? And so my whole day is spent pretty much catastrophizing what's about to happen in the game until the ball is actually tipped. That's when I relax. So in a normal practice day, your mind is filled with possibilities and they're positive. On game day, it's possible catastrophe. Exactly. <laughs> now I see why you like practice. <laughs> yeah, much better. 
The Fighting Irish lost the NCAA championship last year by one point. The previous year, they won it. The starting five who brought them there all went to the WNBA. That's how good they were. And then, their veteran players got injured. Without those leaders on the court, this year's young team lost role models who could teach them how to play as a unit and how to handle the pressure. How does an injured player affect practice the next day? It's almost like a freak accident at times when it happens. We do a lot of prevention for it, but you you just never know. Your career could be over in a day. So I think it brings a little perspective to it, but also losing Mick, she was our, our leader. She was our voice. So we got a lot quieter after she left. But then you look over on the side, you see her and Abby over there and you think, I got to play a little harder. There's two people on the sideline that want to be out here and can't. And I have that opportunity. Yeah. That brings us to Abby. This is beyond an injury. This is a pulmonary embolism. This, this is serious. You know, we said a prayer for her. We, we all got together and kind of came together in that moment. You know, at 20, you have a life-threatening illness and something so unexpected. Um, so I, I think it really made them think a little bit and appreciate and not take for granted, at least in that moment, uh, what they had. Coach McGraw's commitment to the process has helped her turn players into leaders. Niel Ivey is one of them. She was with Coach McGraw for both of her NCAA championship wins, first as a player and then later as an assistant coach. She is now one of 11 female assistant coaches in the NBA, currently coaching for the Memphis Grizzlies. Here's Niel. She works so tirelessly and she works so hard. And I think that adversity and failure can help make you a stronger person, stronger player. I mean, I'm going through the same thing here. I went from Notre Dame never losing to, you know, having a 20 and 22 record here. So I had to learn how to accept failure because that wasn't something that I was very comfortable with. It wasn't something that I had gone through. I've lost probably more right now than I've lost in maybe 20 years. And so instead of placing so much emphasis on wins and losses, I'm placing it on how am I getting better? It's always some type of underlying message or lesson going through failure that you might not get winning all the time. There's something else that she's learning. There's something else the team is learning by going through what they're going through. There, I have so many questions about what you've been through <laughs> in the last few months. I really would like to break this down because it enables us to see you back coaching at the a real basic level. I think you get to the point where you're so consumed with, all right, last last minute of the game, here's some plays we're going to run. I mean, I'm trying to figure out how to put us in a position to win. And it's all about strategy. And now there's almost no strategy. I, I told a reporter the other day, my strategy, hope they miss, hope we make them. That, that's that's what my strategy has <laughs> This is become. the most basic. <laughs> it, it's it's uh, completely different. And trying to, you know, set those small goals of, we remembered to get in the press. Great job. That's that's a step forward for us. You know, everybody was in the same defense. <laughs> that's really good. We only ever play zone, but occasionally some of them would drift off into man-to-man. So those kind of little things, you know, there's, there's 10 seconds left on the shot clock. Let's get organized into something that we worked on at practice. I heard 
did you did something that I thought was really unique. You brought in a couple of military folks and put the team through some kind of training where they went in a swimming pool and had to do exercise, like put on a hoodie, get in pairs and take off your hoodie in the water and transfer it to your partner. Well, our fencing team did it. Our fencing team has won more national championships, I think 11 than anybody here. So uh, I wanted to listen to see what, what he was doing. But If I was there, what would I be seeing? <laughs> well, you'd be nervous because I, I can't swim and I know some of them can't swim. They were <laughs> hanging on to the edge. They're in the deep end uh, trying to tread water, which you know they, they didn't really want to do. So there's a couple of them that were very comfortable in the water. So they sort of took on the leadership role in the water and they're holding each other up they're, and they're telling each other, hey, this is what I did this time. Here's how I got the sweatshirt off. And and we're, we're not good communicators. So that was something that I thought would help us. And, you know, you got to wait for everybody. You have a time limit and everybody's got to get it done in three minutes. And there were plenty of times when we had to do it over and over and over again until we all got it on the same page. When you have a young team, you don't know what your leadership's going to be like. We also have a team that really gets along great, which to me is the most important thing, the team chemistry. However, when they continually talk about how much we love each other and how well we get along, and I always worry because who's going to be that one that's going to be able to get you by the throat and say, right now, we need your head in the game. So this program was designed to make them accountable, to teach them how to be accountable, not for themselves, but for each other. What is it about the practice court that enables somebody to really improve if they're not really getting into games? I'm big on roles and expectations, and I give them their expect. These are the three things I need from you this year. And I go around the circle, not just so you know, but so everybody knows. Maybe you're not a three-point shooter. So when you're open and the fans or your parents are screaming for you to shoot it, <laughs> everyone on the team knows, no, that's not her job. <laughs> so I think that's important. So the ones that aren't playing, I say, hey, your job is to make us better at practice. Your job is to bring energy. Your job is to bring encouragement. I want you to be the, you know, the leading charge taker, the leading shot blocker, the, the leader of this at practice. Your job is to make us better at practice. How do people respond to that? You know, I, I think a lot of them, everybody wants to contribute. Everybody wants to know that they're a part of something bigger than themselves. Everybody wants to know your role is so important. We could not be here without you. And we've had a lot of games afterwards where I said, you know what, if you didn't do that at practice, we wouldn't have won that game. You are the reason that we won that game. And Somebody I, who didn't get on the court. didn't even get in the game, but they were the other team's, you know, shooter. And they were doing a great job at practice of making us find her in the zone. I never heard of that before. Somebody can win the game without being on the court. Good, Kate. Come on, we can get one on the make too. Got to get a box out. Catch it. Come on, two hands. Now, how does this translate? Do people have roles in the weight room as well? You know, I, I let the weight and strength coaches determine what, what their jobs are going to be. You know, we're looking for leadership. We're looking for mental toughness. We're trying to build those kind of things in the weight room. That's, what, that's what's really important to me is all about who's going to take that leadership role? Who's going to hold somebody accountable when they're, nobody's looking? Are they doing as 
their best? You know, are they lifting as much as they can? Are they running as hard as they can on every play? And that that's something that I think needs to to work a little bit better for women. I think that we are reluctant sometimes to tell another woman, you know, you're not doing that right. I think we're we're more known as somebody that's going to be encouraging and help them out. Here's Beth Morgan Cunningham, former player turned assistant coach at Notre Dame. She's been by Coach McGraw's side for the last eight years. Here's Beth. We're trying to make these kids the best versions of themselves that they can possibly be, you know, and maximize everything that they possibly can to get themselves to compete at the highest level academically, athletically, and then still have a well-balanced, you know, four years here. So I think, you know, breaking it down for us, you know, we have uh, strength and conditioning, we have nutritionists, we've got an awesome athletic trainer who takes care of them, you know, our doctors, our medical staff, every single thing that these kids are involved in, you're trying to maximize everything that they can possibly do um, by just giving them the best support staff, the best chance possible to excel and, and compete and do what they need to do at the highest level. Michael Samborski is the director of Olympic Strength and Conditioning at Notre Dame. Along with Beth and the rest of the staff, Michael knows that discipline is the key to get back on top. He works with Coach to develop conditioning programs designed to push each athlete through today's adversity and towards their full potential. Everybody wants to jump higher. Everybody wants to run faster. You know, that, that's, that's no secret. Whatever training program that you're really going to dive into, you've got to make sure that you're not dabbling into too many different training programs all at the same time trying to get a bunch of different things. Focus on one aspect. If you want to get faster, get faster. Don't try to get faster, jump higher, be stronger, squat more all at the same time. That's really hard on no matter who you are. Talent is incredibly common. We have talent walk through the door all the time. Discipline is incredibly rare. Very rarely are we going to have an athlete that walks in here that is at the top of their talent level and is also incredibly disciplined. So when you combine those two things, that's when you really get elite. What, what I really like to see is I like to see an athlete that performs at a really high level and they come in the weight room and they absorb what I'm telling them. They push themselves to their potential. I, I tell my athletes all the time, there's a lot going on in everybody's lives. You're not going to walk into a training session and be at your peak every single time. Nobody ever expects that. It's got to be okay to fail a little bit in my setting. How do you put that into somebody to who would normally be encouraging to be demanding? Yeah, that's really hard. I, I think that you can't change your personality. And so that's why we have more than one captain. We try to have different personalities so that, and you can't be the bad guy all the time. And I think for me, I used to have to be the bad guy all the time. And now I spread it around my staff. <laughs> I don't want to be the bad guy today. I'm going to be the positive one today. You know, you have introverts, you have extroverts, you have people that are really willing to stand up and talk. Um, Skylar Diggins was one of the best captains we ever had. She would grab you by the jersey and put you in your place immediately. And then after the game, everything would be great because they know she just wants to win. That, that's, that's all they have to know. And so my question to the captains is always, do you want to win or do you want to be liked? Because you can't have it both ways. And girls have a really hard time with not being liked. Can you see selfishness on a practice court? 
You know, we've, we've been really fortunate. And I think women in general, we're, we're very unselfish by nature. We are great collaborators. We're team players. I think that's probably the one thing I've never really had to worry at. And I think the other thing is that when you have a score, like we had Arike Ogumbawali, she was a tremendous scorer. And she had over 100 assists, which is great for a guard that's not a point guard. And she was somebody that she liked to shoot. And everybody knew, but that's her job. Her job is to score. So that's not selfishness. So it's not that's selfish. Just, just being that's, who that's you are. win. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think your team, your team chemistry, everything that happens in the locker room. Um, if you have a team that's split, there's some jealousy or, or some kind of division, you're not going to be successful. And so in recruiting, we're always looking for unselfish. That is number one. We want people that want to win, that don't care about how many points they have. If you're looking at the stat sheet immediately after the game to see how many points do I have? What, you know, what does my stat line look like? That's not the kind of player I want. I want the one who's saying, how many assists did I have? And how many rebounds did I have? So there's so many things that I look for, you know, that have nothing really to do with the actual skill of the game. Because we want leaders and we want people that, that the girls are going to respect. And, and the unselfish part, I think, is really big, too. But you have to be competitive. And kids today, I don't think, are as competitive. And so we're trying to find those ones that really want to win, that just hate losing. Because I don't want to be the only one in the locker room crying after a loss. I want to I look around and see everybody feels the same way. And do you ever push people past where somebody else is? Like comparing them yeah. to other players. You yeah. know, I, I really try not what? to do that, but I look nationally and I'll say, you know, I'm looking at the All-Americans and here's some of their stats. You, are you interested? Do you want to look and see what <laughs> their the field goal percentage is? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to compare you to them. I, I mean, you know, I think you're better, but I'm just talking about the voters out there. <laughs> you know, good players you know, they want that competitiveness. They they want to be compared yeah. to the best in the country. And so, you know, the, maybe they have a good game. And Kayla McBride's a great example of this. She was a player who wasn't probably a top recruit coming in. Uh, she was ranked in maybe the top 40, but not like a top 10 player. And I thought she had a lot of potential. So she would have a game and maybe she'd have 18 or 20 points. And I would look at the stat sheet and say, you had two rebounds. You had two rebounds. Look at the best players in the country. You can't be one-dimensional. You have to be able to do more than one thing. So I think not letting people be content with where they are and showing them that you can be so much more than that. Kayla was one who, when she graduated, said, you pushed me further than I thought I could go. I didn't think I could do it. And you kept pushing me to do it. And so I know in a way, they know I have confidence in them and they know I believe in them. And I think that helps. But I think never letting them be content with where they are. Good. Nice job, Kristen. You got one. Good. So here's coming to you. There you go. That's better. Good. You got one. You're like at the bottom of the league standings now, and there's going to be a tournament, so you got a shot. Right. How do you prepare for this last stretch? If we continue to get better, then we go into the tournament uh, with a little better seed than what we're at right now. So that's that's our first goal. Got to move up in the standings. And, you know, the losses don't change. If you keep winning, you can even that out. And I know it's funny because you fail every day. You know, you fail in something every day. You, you make bad choices. There's so many things that you can look back on and say, why did I do that? You know, I, I after every game, I look at the film and go, you know, why did I sub her out? Why did I 
put her in? Why didn't I press? Why did I do this or that? So I think you can fail in small ways, but uh, we're failing in a big way this year. And that's that's been hard to take. And so as people have kind of told me in some of the messages I'm getting is, you know, people are still looking at you as a role model. So how you're handling this, people are watching that. And you, you forget about that because you get in your own bubble and you, you just, you feel like, God, I'm just we're just so bad right now. How do we fix this? So when I'm not fixing it, I feel like I'm letting the team down. I'm letting the fans down. I'm letting the school down. I'm letting the university down, the community. I mean, I'm just, I'm taking it so personally. And I've learned that you can't, you know, you can't take it personally because it's going to make you stronger. And especially when we've had success, we know what it looks like. We know what it feels like. Failure is um, is a mindset of of growth that you have to say, here's what I did wrong. You know, we didn't do work on the fundamentals enough. I think when you can see a way out, it makes it a little bit easier. But if you were 10 years in the future, looking back on this year, what would you have liked your practices to accomplish? Well, I think the biggest thing is that we never quit. I think that's the biggest lesson. I mean, failure is a part of life. You, you can't you can't grow as a person if you've never experienced failure. And these generations, the last two, parents have tried to fix everything for them. And so they've never handled adversity. They've never had to. I'd like to think that we're teaching them how to handle adversity. We're we're trying to build a little bit of mental toughness so that when they get off into life and and how they're going to handle things uh, when things go wrong, as they will, and you're going to fail. But failure can build your confidence because when you come back and you have success, then you see how hard it was to get there, what you had to do to get there. Does it feel, do you have any gratitude for this year? You know, I might someday. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I would wish this kind of year on anyone. Um, But you know what, It, it makes me it makes me think I don't do enough for people that are struggling. And when you look at the, you know, I'll get a text from somebody and sometimes a complete stranger, I'll get a wonderful note from, and I'll think, I got to do more, you know, get out of your bubble, look around. There's people struggling all around us in a simple act of kindness. I mean, just a word of encouragement means so much and it goes so far. And I look at all these coaches that struggle, you know, with a losing record. And you know, I, I never thought much about it before, but now I understand the struggle, how hard it is and how how easy it is to just text someone, call someone, you know, send a note, um, even on the street when you see people, just just being kind to each other. There's so many things that are so much more important than this little game of basketball. Somehow, I think you're going to come through this okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's nice to look up at those final four banners when you're (laughs) six and 12 or whatever we are. You got seven wins. (laughs) Seven. (laughs) (laughs) This has been The Only Way Is Through, a podcast collaboration between Under Armour and iHeartRadio. Join us next time to hear more stories of athletic performance and what it means to push yourself through.